Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your momming podcast today. I can't help but think that maternal instinct is so deeply wired into a mother that there is a desire, even when you are in a severely compromised state, to care for your children. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming Today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. We're momming today with Catherine Wolf, who 12 years ago suffered a near-fatal stroke, leaving her severely disabled. Not only was she robbed of her ability to walk and talk, but also her ability to care for her six-month-old son. Her husband became her advocate, her caretaker, and now 12 years later, that six-month-old is 12, <laughs> and you have another son, a four-year-old. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And no one can see us right now, but Catherine's sweatshirt says hope on yep. it. Yep, it does. Constant I'm a reminder. big fan of hope. <laughs> so tell me your story. What happened 12 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in short, um, as the six-month-old baby lay asleep in the other room, I had a massive brainstem stroke, totally unbeknownst to me my entire life. I had had a malformation growing in my brain that would rupture. It's called an AVM, arterial venous malformation, and it's an ill-formed collection of blood vessels that grows in your brain, almost like a really severe brain aneurysm, except this was so bad it had four aneurysms on it. And essentially, it ruptured and caused the massive brainstem stroke. And I had no medical history, no family history, perfectly healthy, and had never um, known that this was this time bomb in my brain. You were 26? Newly 26, yes. Wow. So you were you home at the time, Jay? Did you go straight to the hospital? How did, what happened? Yeah, so I was in law school at Pepperdine. That's where we had married a couple years uh, before that, had this baby a little bit, you know, unexpectedly. And was finishing up my last couple of weeks of law school. I was about to graduate. And so I happened to be home in about a 45-minute window, came back to our married housing dorm between some of my last classes at law school. And during that time, I was printing out a paper. I had kind of procrastinated. So we say procrastination kind of helps save Catherine's mm-hmm. life. So there you go for all you procrastinators out there. Um, but she called out to me and, and didn't know what was happening and just started throwing up her hands and legs went numb. She fell to the ground. And so I called an ambulance and they came and realized she was, something was very wrong. And so they rushed her to the ER. And that was the last time she'd ever see that place, uh, that first home that we lived in as a couple and that place we brought our baby home to from the hospital. And so that chapter of our life would just close. And um, yeah, it was a, it was 
just a day we never saw coming in a million years. And, I, I mean, no. I'm, you know. You're in a dorm. You're yeah. in law school. You're yeah. a new mom. You're twenty, barely 26 years right. old. Um, what was it like when that chapter closed? Um, it was horrific. I mean, your entire life turned upside down in absolutely every way. I actually would only wake up from the coma-like state I was in um, around two and a half months after I'd had the stroke. So I'm waking up to this entire new world where I suddenly am severely disabled. I can't see. I can't hear. I can't speak. Hold on. Who's caring for your baby at the time? Oh, family, friends. Um, For the first seven weeks, he lived with dear sweet friends. And then Jay's sister was able to move in with us and care for him in the home setting. And my mother and his mother were super involved. It was a village, for sure. It took a village to help us care for the baby. And that was actually the worst pain of the entire ordeal. It wasn't actually anything that could happen or was happening to my physical body. I mean, I had a tube in my stomach where they fed me through, and I had a ventilator and 10,000 other terrible, just painful issues happening. And yet the worst pain was that that little baby who I thought would just come and live with me in the hospital room was taken in and out constantly. And my brain didn't understand that I wasn't able to care for him anymore. And speaking of your momming podcast today, I can't help but think that maternal instinct is so deeply wired into a mother that there is a desire, even when you are in a severely compromised state, to care for your children. Did he give you hope? Did who give me hope? Your the son. baby? Oh, well, absolutely, Jamesy did. And, you know, it, it's crazy how hope works because I have grown up my entire life having very deep faith and that extremely informed my response all along and the manifestations of hope on earth like that sweet baby and the notion of new life um, that, that would be to come in future years all fueled me in powerful ways to think that my story as it was unfolding would potentially be used in other people's lives was a very powerful manifestation of hope as well and I was just very, very blessed early on after the stroke to recognize that this is an extremely unique situation. Obviously, most 26-year-olds are not, or most 86-year-olds, honestly, are not going to have this specific brand of brokenness in their story, mm-hmm. but that it was a part of an extremely powerful suffering thing that all humans are going through in all different forms. And to tap into that was to my tremendous gain. um, I would think that was unique, too, that not only did you have this happen to you at so young an age, but you were able to, I mean, did you have any dark days or depression? Oh, my goodness, yes, yes, for sure. And that's actually part of um, how how I think this has all worked out, which is such a funny way to say that, I guess. But somehow even the darkest nights of the soul in this nightmare um, have been a part 
of bringing about a type of healing because I was able to recognize I am in extreme, extreme darkness and suffering and the sadness of unmet expectations and I had no idea my life would look this way and I'm never going to do X, Y, and Z all were sort of used to equal a response that was like, this is just a, a wild set of circumstances, but I believe that somehow this is how God has wired my life to look. You guys write about that in your new book. You talk about suffering and you define it as the space between what we thought would happen and then what actually happened. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Right? And mm-hmm. go ahead, Jay. Yeah, I was just going to say in that, um, in this message, you know, this is sort of the message of the past over a decade of our life of figuring out how to make sense of, live through, heal from, and then flourish even on the other side of suffering. And and what are those lessons learned that we found in our extreme circumstances, but are really applicable to everybody's life? Because in in so many big and small ways, we're all struggling with a mm-hmm. life we didn't think we'd be living, or with certain things that have happened to us, or parts of our past we can't overcome, and. So just these lessons learned in sort of this upended life and viewing it really as a second chance life that mm-hmm. we're still here for a reason and we got to figure out what that is together and it doesn't just have to do with us as individuals it has to do with a community you know an online community people that come in contact with our book our story uh, our lives our our friends in, in our community like it's just it's never about one person it's about sort of this opening up of a new way of looking How'd at the world How did you get there what was the aha moment or the okay enough is enough we need to yeah. We need to move in. We need to move up from here. How did you yeah, actually I, get there? Because I, I know it was, it's not as easy as you're making it sound. Absolutely no. I mean, this is twelve years later too. Yeah. So I mean, we always want to articulate. You know, it was about five years until we wow. came up for air because this is to to back up a tiny bit. You know, they to save her life, they had to remove part of her brain. They did extensive damage to her brain stem and nerves that give function. And that was just in a hope to to spare her life because uh, what she was experiencing was really not survivable just by the odds. And the fact that the surgeon would even attempt surgery was kind of a crazy thing that he he, he jumped in. And um, so basically, you know, we're just – we don't even know what we're up against. It's like how do you like, – I, I hardly know what a stroke is, much less like a traumatic brain injury, much less relearning how to do everything in a disabled life and body. And, you um, didn't even know how to be a dad. Exactly. I mean, we're, 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 like, dad, we're like 26. A, a we're barely a law student. fully formed in our own brains yet at that stage of our life anyway. We're young, you know. And in a way, I think young suffering looks like the biggest tragedy, right? Because you have all this possibility and you had all these dreams ahead. But what's really powerful is to see um, that touch with life and death at a young age informs how you live the rest of your life. You don't take it for granted. You don't, you know, kind of get bogged down in the small distractions and you sort of learn how to forgive and to heal and to love people well. And um, there's some fascinating studies on post-traumatic growth that after trauma, you can experience PTSD, but you can also grow on the other side of it. And it's just empirically researched and studied and so powerfully hopeful for anybody who's gone through trauma is that that's not the end of the story. It can be the beginning of a new story. And what's cool is then comparing the end of life, there's some been research for deathbed regrets. And a lot of the um, things when people have had a near-death experience or a big trauma and have this growth mentality, um, it offsets this possibility of deathbed regrets. So you're going to live differently, even though it's hard, even though it's painful, even though it's not what Purpose you thought it was going to be. Yeah. it. Um, I think by the end of our lives, we won't have those same regrets because it will have informed how we've lived these years. 
Hold that thought. We're going to have more momming right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's continue the conversation. Catherine, what, how did you decide, how did you two decide, let's, let's welcome another baby into this world? Well, it it was definitely a prayerful decision and uh, only only made after um, getting the okay by and checked off from all my different (laughs) doctors. I'd I'd actually have to date had 11 surgeries and I'm still a lot of really difficult medical stuff. So it wasn't just like, hey, we should get back then. It was very, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. There's not. Many, there are some, but not many women having babies in wheelchairs these days. And um, so it was a very careful and carefully made decision. But I did become pregnant in the fall of 2014 and have a baby in summer of 2015. His name is John Nestor Wolf, and John's name, among many um, incredible reasons, we named him John. Nestor, his middle name, is for my neurosurgeon, Nestor Gonzalez, who saved my life initially. And it's crazy, I mean, very powerful that we were able to name our baby after him. And um, we feel like it is just this crazy um, just picture of so many of the truths I believed in and that got me through this nightmare is just the power of hope. And honestly, the truth that God is making a way where there seems to be no way. And little John Nestor's life um, just so clearly shows that. He's like our word picture of that, in fact. And the name Nestor, which we did not know at the time, in Hebrew means seeker of miracles. And we just thought that's insane that we named our child seeker of miracles. And he is. What's life like for you now? What's your daily routine? Oh, life is so awesome now. Um, I am, I guess, coming up for air, probably (laughs) for the rest of my life coming up for air. I have two wonderful kids, 12 and 4, and my husband and I have a faith-based nonprofit called Hope Heals, and we just released our second book, so we wrote Hope Heals, that's basically a memoir of our story, and now Suffer Strong is the lessons learned um, from this season of deep suffering and darkness and um, how ultimately all of life is about redefining it to find any joy in it. Um, So we write and we speak a lot and (laughs) we started a camp where the founders of Hope Hills Camp, a camp for families with disabilities and yeah, life is not easy. I still do not drive to this day. I do not walk on my own. I largely am in a wheelchair, and um, my face is paralyzed on one side, and I'm deaf in one ear and nearly blind in one eye, and my eyes don't track, and I have pretty extreme health problems for sure, 
but clearly they're not holding me back. If anything, they actually are propelling me forward in a life that looks nothing like I thought I'd be living, but a life that I love, that I get to choose to love. You know, that's always the great irony in our <laughs> world today is people are really, like, okay and okay with hating their life and hating their story and thinking, like, this is the worst thing ever. And that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, it's tragic. Like, life is a gift. I mean, Look come on. You. Second chance life is a huge gift. Mm -hmm. And how sad to waste it thinking it should have been a different way. No, live into the way it is today. Recognize, wake up to what God is doing and the story he's writing with your life. And recognize that the life right in front of you is the best life. Like that's the true tragedy, I think, of our day is the, the greatest life that you were supposed to lead is outside of your story. What well, is your... 12-year-old say to you? Mm -hmm. oh, for, well, it depends on the day. The 12-year-old <laughs> says a lot of funny things to us these days. He's 12. Um, but we see glimpses constantly of how this tragedy, I mean, what could be worse, quote-unquote, than your mother becoming disabled and you having this insane childhood. But you're just mom to him. Right. Does he ever get sick of that story? Because you're just his mom and that's how he sees you and you have to be there for him and he doesn't care about anything else? Um, You know, no, I don't think he gets sick of it. I think he... Um he recognizes that it's very special, but for sure he doesn't see me as stroke survivor. He sees me as mom. But I think... His years of, you know, almost coming to life and mommy being in this state and seeing a daddy dramatically take care of, him, of his mom in almost every way will deeply inform his whole life. I mean, he will always. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. And especially for your four-year-old. Wow, Jay, you're like the perfect example. Oh. I don't know about that, but, you know, well, I think Take you the compliment. Well, thank you. I think— um our 12-year-old has said, and this is kind of cute, and, you know, again, he's not perfect by any means. He's prepubescent now. Oh, it's God. kind of a mess. You know, <laughs> yeah, just the well, hormonal surges. And seriously. We're not, you know, this is our first time parenting a 12-year-old. But, um, I, I mean, from when he was in, like, second grade, he'd be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he'd be like, a family man. Like, I want to yeah. have a family. And, you know, I think that's because he's amidst a lot of chaos and a lot of, um, you know, unusual first years and continuing years of his life, he's seen a family that loves each other and he wants that for his future. So I think what more could you ask for your child to feel like loved and, and known enough to want to um, continue that in, in their future? And so he's doing great. Our four-year-old is wild too. And I think it's funny talking about post-traumatic growth, all those things. There's epigenetics too, which is the study of trauma affecting your, like yeah. you down to a genetic level yeah. and you can pass that on. And I think you know, hopefully the resilience of his mom and determination of his dad is something is part of his DNA. But he feels life deeply and he's just, you know, he's precious reminder of new life where there should only be death. But he's also a four-year-old. And, you know, it's not, right. he, he gives us a run for our money. I think we still don't know if we're going to have more kids. But oh, oh it's a question mark. I think okay. it, goes, it goes back and forth daily. You know, it's like adoption, new biological, like no, we're done. Like it just, it just depends. It it's changes just, constantly. Um, Someone told me you have open. to say you want whatever the number is. Like, yeah. do you want three kids two days in a row? 
Because right. if you actually, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's if right. you're consistent for two full days, you might as well then go ahead. Right. No, yeah, and that hasn't happened oh, yet. Oh, yeah, every other day. It feels yeah, no, for sure. We love, you know, it's funny. We love um, just the second chance, and I think it's so powerful for us. And um, and yet the realities of parenting are uh, no joke, you know, and it's just the the idea of doing the hard thing I think we resonate with, but then we're like, wow, that – um, I don't know. I'm not sure if we can do if we yeah, can. Uh, the hard thing's yeah. hard enough, but sometimes the easy stuff, like exactly. calming right. that temper we can, tantrum, we can do the hard thing, but not really the easy hard. thing. Yeah, yeah that's we, true. We, we that's say so that, true. like we we got this crazy life post stroke, disability, and yet we can't. Yeah, make our kids brush the, their teeth. The carpal schedule is about to <laughs> yeah, come to seriously, us, whatever, laundry. You know. Oh man, and where do you guys live now? Atlanta, Atlanta. Uh huh. Nice. Thanks for coming up. Tell me about. As we wrap this up, it's your second book that's out now. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. It's available everywhere. Books are sold as of last week. And it is just this crazy blessing to have a book kind of summarize a lot of our thinking and heart um, in mm-hmm. the last 12 years of extreme suffering and joy all commingled yeah. and good and hard living. And yet it's for anybody who is in need of a redefining, which I think we all are. It's anybody who wants to change what feels like an unchangeable circumstance in their life. And it's, it boils down to that what happens to you matters less than how you think about what happens to you. You can't get to choose the chapters of your story, but you can choose the story that you take away from it yeah. and the story that you tell yourself yeah. about yourself. So that's really, again, that's what we all want, I think, in our different um, seasons and our different struggles. And our hope is that it would just meet a lot of different people wherever they are on their journey and I would encourage them to keep going and to hold the hard story and the good story together as one story. And uh, By just telling the story, you don't realize how many people you actually inspire. I'm sure they Mm -hmm. tell you, I'm I'm sure they reach out, but when people open up about how tough stuff is and how they persevered, they help a lot of other people do the same thing. Absolutely. Thank you. you. It actually heals your brain. They say Mm -hmm. that when you can be a part of somebody else's healing, it's dramatic the effect it has on your psyche. Mm -hmm. Story. We have that's to end good. it there. There's nothing that's going to top that <laughs> last statement, okay. Catherine. <laughs> the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.